We find ourselves in a series in the New Testament letter to the Colossians. And today I'm going to be reading verses 15 through 20, some of the most exalted language about Christ that there is in the scriptures. And so if you have your uh, Bibles, you can open them to the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Uh, If you don't have your scriptures, I invite you to open your ears and listen. This is God's word. Speaking of Jesus, Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is nosebleed theology. These are depths. We're in deep waters now. It's easy for the astonishing good news of who Jesus is to fade over time. Similar to those who live by mountain landscapes and grow accustomed to the breathtaking majesty of it all. I'll ask my friends who live in Colorado, does it ever get, do you ever just, does it ever just seem normal (laughs) to you (laughs) that you live in such a place? And they'll say, yeah. And I say, well, how do you recapture the magic? They say, sometimes you have to hike to the top of the mountain and recapture the beauty. It's the same thing of our relationship with Christ. We can grow accustomed to the breathtaking majesty of it all. But here Paul takes us by the hand and he hikes us up a theological 14er. And at the peak we get this sweeping panoramic of the cosmic Christ. And we are to recapture a sense of his majesty and glory, who he is, what he's done. He takes us to the top of the mountain and we look out and what do we see? All things summed up in Jesus. All things. That's what Paul wants us to see. 
Astonishingly, in these five short verses in Colossians 1, the phrase, all things, occurs five times. In him, all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. Through him, God was pleased to reconcile, guess what? All things. So you can't get much more inclusive than all things. So here's my question for us. When did Christ become so small in our imaginations? So inconsequential to many things in our lives. One might think looking at the church or your life or mine, that fewer and fewer things are held together in Christ. One might look at our lives and say that there are forces out into the world that are, that are in control. They hold control and sway over us. And there's these private moments of peace where we seek a private Jesus who exists in some chair somewhere in our room and there's a Bible next to the chair and that's where Jesus holds sway and we get our little Jesus peace so that we can go back out there and try to wrestle the powers, whatever they may be, that control us. What, what's happened with the, with the Colossians apparently is that Jesus has become some kind of sidekick. Like in Disney movies, there's always a sidekick. Like Jafar has the little parrot. Like Jesus is the parrot on the shoulder that in certain moments tells you moral things to do while you're the one who actually has the power and goes out and has to wrestle and hold together the chaos, the things visible and and invisible, you have to make it happen. <laughs> Can you see how opposed Paul is to such a notion? That is not the faith declared in Colossians 1. The, Cal- the faith in Colossians 1, if I can use a phrase that was used in the 70, that 70s that deserves a comeback, this theology is cosmic. Mm, what if we brought cosmic back? We use, it's like we, they used cosmic like we use the word awesome. We use the word awesome to describe like a pair of running shoes. In finding Christ, we find something truly awesome. Something truly cosmic. He is the image of the invisible God, he says. And Paul isn't thinking here of Christ's physical appearance, but he's thinking of both his character and his divine nature. In in Genesis 1, God made man to bear his image, to reflect his character and nature in the world No person can do that perfectly, but they can do it really. 
Now that image has been marred by, by sin. No one is able to perfectly reveal God. But when Christ enters into the world, he perfectly reveals God's character and glory because he was by very nature God himself. He did not bear God's image. He is God's image. Word become flesh, dwelling among us. The author of Hebrews says that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, so that when we encounter the Son Jesus, we encounter God as he is, because the Son is God. Looking at Jesus, we see God as he truly is. And that's certainly true of the the imminent Christ of the Gospels. The, The Christ who is close to us, God with flesh on. When we encounter God touching the leper, standing in between a woman and men with rocks sitting at the the table with tax collectors and sinners when we see him weeping at the tomb of Lazarus, dying on the cross for us. We see how close our creator is to us. But it is not simply the, the imminent Jesus that we're confronted with in the gospel. In Jesus, we see the transcendent Christ, who is sovereign over all creation, creator of all things. The picture of Christ we get in Colossians is less like that of Jesus in the gospel and more like the vision of Jesus that John sees in the book of Revelation. I think of what it must have been like for John in jail on the island of Patmos and he has this vision of Christ, a Christ whom he knew. But he sees him now and he sees him differently in the vision. He says in Revelation 1, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like the son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as the snow and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword his face was like the sun shining in all of his brilliance what a vision One of, my, one of my pals in seminary once told me a story about how his five-year-old daughter would walk around the house and sing hymns that she would hear on Sunday morning. And there was one time where she was walking around the house and she was attempting to sing, holy, 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 
Lord God Almighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. But that's not what came out of her mouth. What came out of her mouth was holy, 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 God with a body, three-headed person, you just wait and see. (laughs) Holy, 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 God with a body, you just wait and see. It ain't that bad of a lyric. I think about our stained glass Jesus. There's many things I would say about our stained glass Jesus. He looks like, you know, he looks like a lot of Jesus pictures and like Jesus picture books. Tom Skinner, an African-American minister from Harlan, once said that when he looked at Sunday school pictures of Jesus, what he said was, I don't know who that guy is, but I know he wouldn't last 10 minutes in my neighborhood. Maybe that's true of farmer Jesus in the near south. (laughs) But what about the Jesus of Revelation 1? What about the Jesus of Colossians 1? He is the firstborn of all creation. And that doesn't mean that he was made or that he was born. The very next verse says he created all things. And so when Paul says he's the firstborn, I think he had texts like Psalm 89 in mind, where the psalmist wrote, speaking of the Messiah, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So in the Middle East, the firstborn was more of a title of rank and supremacy. It was the firstborn who got the wealth, the status, the standing of the father. So the firstborn was the, of the father was the one who got the double portion, the one who had authority in the family, the leader, the forebear, the one who was in charge, and the one who ultimately would receive and divvy out the inheritance. And so when it says he's the firstborn of creation over all created things, he's in authority over all of it. And one day, it will all be his. He will be the arbiter of God's will as it is. And he will be able to share that inheritance with who he will, with his brothers and sisters. And Paul continues, he gives us the reason that Jesus has this authority over all creation. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. This should blow us away. This is how we know that Jesus isn't just another creature like us. Jesus is actually creator, not creature. Everything exists because he made it. And he goes beyond that. That Jesus didn't just create all things, but somehow he sustains them and holds them together. 
that somehow he, they're not just created by him, but in him, they hold on to their being. So we can tend to think that God created everything and invented certain laws of nature, almost like we would, and then let it go. Almost like we would let a top spin and then watch it go. But that's not what happened according to the scriptures. Not only did Jesus create everything, but he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. He didn't just bring things into being. He holds them in being. Every atom, every cell, every object, the entire universe holds together because Jesus holds on to it and guides it in an ongoing basis. Hour by hour, the reason that we don't fall apart into billions of fragments and vanish is because Christ holds us together. And that's true of every person, of every mountain, of every child, of every supernova. All would cease to be if Christ didn't hold it together. So as your creator, you might think that he is distant, having done his work some time ago, but to confess that he is actually in your being, holding you together. That intimately close to you, involved with you. He is not distant. We are personally and radically dependent upon Christ and he is intimately and radically involved in every area of our life. Not simply creating it and holding it together, but ruling and reigning over it so that it will eventually serve his purposes. Because it's not only created by him and held together through him, but it says it's created for him. For him. His purposes and for those who he loves. It's all summed up in that wonderful verse um, 17. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. I want you to say it with me. In him, all things hold together. Can we just stop and come to attention at this idea? These are deep, deep waters. This means that Christ is not only found in your one chair with the Bible by it. He's not just found in here. You can find Christ everywhere. Christ, when you leave this building, he's in the trees. He's in your dog. (laughs) He's in the wind. He's in wild onions. He is certainly in the laughter of a child. 
He's not just in the Bible. He's in whatever novel you're reading. He holds all things together. That sentence isn't just true of theology. It's true of mathematics and philosophy and ethics and music theory and string theory. He is in every beautiful piece of secular art. He is in a word spoken by a friend who does not believe in him. But that word proved to be the word that you needed to get you to where you were going. That was Christ. Did you see him there? It means that wherever you go, Christ has preceded you there. Christ upholds every moment that you're in. And he upholds every person that you are speaking to. That means that you have the freedom to advance into a space that he already occupies and you get to discover him there. And it means, of course, that he's present in many places where he is not named or recognized. And it means wonderfully that he is present in everyone's life. There is no one who is alive and living, created in whom he is not present and active. Which means that when you evangelize, and you should do that, because Jesus is awesome and rad, but you don't have to like conjure up Jesus as if he wasn't present there in the first place, as if he wasn't already pursuing the person that you care about as if he doesn't care about them more than you do. We don't have to conjure up Christ. He is holding all things together. We get to see where he is already at work and then to speak that name. Oh, to awaken someone to the idea that every breath they've ever drawn and every pulse in their heart, every beat of their heart, every atom dancing in the smallest bit of their finger, it's held in being, blessed in being, cohered in being by Christ who loves them even though they never knew him. To awaken someone to that goodness, that love, that coherence from him, through him, for him, that that may be known and encountered as a person. And that person is the cosmic Christ. There's a wonderful story in C.S. Lewis's book, A Horse and His Boy, in which Shasta, who has no knowledge of Aslan, and Aslan is the, the great lion Christ figure in the book. But he has no Aslan. When he hears the name Aslan, all he thinks of is some strange northern demon out there that eats people. That's what he thinks Aslan is. But do you remember, those who have read the book, that one day Shasta's walking through a fog over a perilous mountain pass and he becomes aware of a presence of which he cannot name, but he knows it's there. And so he calls out finally, Who are you? And out of the fog, the voice says, one who has waited long to hear you speak. 
And then Shasta tells his story. Where have you been? My life seems to be a story of your absence. When he tells the, and then he tells the story of all the hardships he's experienced, how he grew up in a terrible home, how he was treated like a slave, how he had to run away and just barely came over the sea, and then there were these horrible lions that chased him, and then there was a time he was in a tomb, and there was this nice cat that came by and looked after him, and he said, I am the most unfortunate and lonely boy that you have ever met. And the voice says, you are neither unfortunate nor lonely. I was the cat that comforted you in the tombs. I was the lion that gave the horses the extra speed they needed to get you to go where you needed to go. And I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat to shore on the moonlit evening that got you to safety and saved your life. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I hold everything together. How even stories of his apparent absence can be filled up with the presence of the cosmic Christ. I was speaking to a man this, and so I'm trying to bring the nosebleed down to our lives. I was talking to a man this week who had recently discovered a malignant mass on his kidney. But along with that discovery and the grief that comes with it came a new awareness of God's presence. A beginning to see how God orchestrated the events of his life so that the mass could be discovered. He said in shaking the surgeon's hand who would do the surgery, he said, I I felt like I was shaking the hand of Christ. And that's right. Not that that man was Christ. He was an unbelieving person, but that Christ was in that man working together. That's right. And it seems like in crisis situations that God gives us a special kind of a spiritual sight and awareness of him, how he's been working in our lives. But what this text is saying, it's not just in crisis moments that we need to have this awareness. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Mona was telling me this morning about her father who's losing his memory and it's getting worse. And that made me think of a, a story my mentor told me, Mona. He worked as a volunteer chaplain in a retirement facility years ago and there was a man there with Alzheimer's and that man, man kept coming to Christ what do you make of that he wouldn't remember that he had come to Christ the day before so he would just come to Christ again and he would come to Christ again and again and my mentor first said that that when he heard it that floored him a little he felt a little sad and shaken because he had some romantic idea that if you come to Christ once, you should know it. (laughs) As if we are the ones who hold it together and not Christ himself. But one of the workers at the facility said to him, ah, isn't it wonderful? He gets the rest of his life to experience 
the first time joy of seeing Jesus as he is, himself as he is, his sins forgiven, the purpose for which he was made, the future that is ahead of him. And she said, I envy him, not the Alzheimer's. But what she was saying is he's holding it all together. In him, all things hold together. You know, like the, the, the verses we put on our coffee cups? The things we put on like shirts and bumper stickers or tattoo on our faces? This should be one of those verses. It is, from, it is like my mantra when life falls apart. When I don't know what to pray anymore. He, th- he holds all things together. He holds my lungs together. Lord, my breath is in your hands. You hold my thoughts together. Lord, you hold my body together. Oh, it looks like it's falling apart. You hold my kids together. Oh, I'm a parent. You hold my kids' life together. Whatever they're facing, you're the one who holds it together. I don't have control. You do. You hold my job together. Uh, You hold politics together. You hold my church together together. Jesus holds all things together. Even the things you can't control, even the things you can't see. He says, everything in heaven on our earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Everything that you think has more power than you, that you can't control. The things that you can see, And the spiritual baddies you can't see. He controls all of them. Here's the thing. The Colossians were afraid of all that stuff. They were afraid of Rome. They were afraid of Caesar. They were afraid of demons. They were afraid of angels. And he's saying, no. All things are ruled by Christ. Everything angelic, demonic, every physical emperor or ruler. And so bring it into your own world. What is it? Ron DeSantis? AOC? President Biden? President Trump? The other clowns? They have a king. Putin? What ruler do you fear? Maybe it's the unseen demons. AI. The real spiritual forces behind our corrupt systems of power sex, and money. What do you fear? Watch out for leaving Jesus on your shoulder like he's your parrot sidekick. Squawk! He is the cosmic king. In these five verses, the author uses the phrase all things five times so that you cannot miss the point. Not my addicted child. It's too late. All things. Not Russia, Ukraine. It's too complicated. All things. That doesn't mean that the world looks like it belongs to Christ or looks like what it will look like when it comes to its final destination. It just means that God is the one who is with us and in Jesus Christ can be found in all things. And he holds together what we cannot
Okay, so I'm going to save the stuff about the church for next week because we have enough to celebrate in that Jesus holds all things together. This is a vision of Jesus writ large. And friends, if we're going to endure whatever this world has to bring us, we need to recapture this vision of a cosmic king. A Jesus bigger than the one we usually picture. Bigger than whatever you fear. Bigger than what you're facing. Some of us can sit in church and we can think about the stock market or we can sit and think about shopping, the shopping we have to do in the afternoon or the test coming up in the next week or the presentation we have to make because there's stuff in our life that's bigger than Jesus. And I don't know, what did, what did Stephanie say at the, at the children's message? She said, maybe the application today is just to remember, to remember, to remember the one whom you serve and to get a new tattoo on your face (laughs) that just says, in him, all things hold together. Will you say it with me one more time? In him, all things hold together. Let me pray. Christ, we settle our lives and all of the chaotic bits of them that seem like they're going out of control all the parts of our lives in which you may seem absent, the people in our lives who we pray for, the problems in our life, in our world in which we have no solution, we take all of those things and we take them and we root them in the deep soil of this cosmic theology and of your divine care for us. You are before all things. And in you, Lord Christ, all things hold together. And so we will hold this in our heart and celebrate it. And we will remember to remember. We give you praise and thanks. In Christ's name, amen.